I ever tell you what happened to the dog, huh? Son of a bitch dog bit me, so I got some steak. And I got me the spring out of a clock, and I cut that spring up into little pieces. And I stuck it into the steak. Way inside, I went to where they had that dog tied up, and I said, hey, boy. I'm not mad. Come on, let's be friends. And I threw him the steak, and I waited around for around 10 minutes. And he started crying, and the blood spilled out of his mouth. He tried to chew out his own insides, and I said, hey, boy. That's me inside there with those knives. Anybody asks you for the sweetest thing in the world? It's revenge. <laughs> Finally, thank you, thank you, Andrea, for uh, showing up today. You know, coming all the way here to the UK <laughs> as I've been in lockdown. It's nice to actually have you here. So today we are recording on just one mic instead of our two separate mics being in different places. But thank you for coming all the way here to the UK. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, you know, <laughs> you just kind of showed up, so. Wow, I made you food. Fuck me, right? Yeah, yeah. So it goes. Wow, you got the mention first. Cool. <laughs> well, hi everyone. Today we're covering Slaughterhouse Five by the one, the great, the only Kurt Vonnegut. Yep. And uh, written in what 1968, I believe. And then the movie was adapted in 1972. Um, for those that don't know, Kurt Vonnegut, he's a postmodern writer, sci-fi writer. Who, I don't know, do, do you care if I get into a little bit of his history? Go ahead. Just from what I remember, this is just from memory, so hopefully none of this is wrong. So Kurt Vonnegut was born into a pretty affluent family. His mom was the heir of, some, of a brewery, which is where all their money came from. His dad did some, I think he worked in some sort of factory or something. I can't fully remember, but... Kurt Vonnegut grew up in a affluent family, but he all of his culture came from his from the maid that they had. She was actually the one that really introduced him to a lot of uh, books and things like that. About the time he was in high school, though, the prohibition hit, and so obviously being a brewery, is not or it might have not been in high school. It might have been when he was in, like younger than that. But prohibition hit and. So their money got wiped out from that. His mom was trying to be a writer, but she never got published. And she, right before Kurt Vonnegut went off to World War II to fight, she committed suicide and died. So four months after he went off to fight in the war, she killed herself. Kurt Vonnegut, originally he went to Cornell, um, to study, and I forget exactly what he was studying um, during that time period when he went to college there, but he uh, he dropped out, decided to join the army because his grades were slipping, and also he was, uh, I believe he was working on a radio show, or he was working on a radio show, or he was working on some sort of writing, and it was always very controversial for the time, and so he was like, basically being kicked out of the, of Cornell. So he joined the army, um, went off, was in Dresden when Dresden got bombed. And so that is pretty much what Slaughterhouse-Five is about. And it took him over 20 years to write this book because he didn't know how to write it. 
and he didn't want to write a war story that was depicting war in a good light as most war stories during that time period were. So then in his 40s, he came out with Slaughterhouse-Five, which was his sixth book, but the first book to actually get him to break through. Kurt Vonnegut, um, he, after the war, he tried to study, he tried to study anthropology. He was going to get a master's degree, an automatic master's degree, um, and his thesis was on the anthropology of stories and how stories are told, and actually he has a, a lot of great writing on how stories are told, and for Kurt Vonnegut, like, you know, he's, he, he gets into the ups and downs, the climax, the rising, rising fall, shit like that. But he decided that the most interesting story is actually a story that is a flat line where you couldn't tell what was good and what was bad. And that actually the flat line story is closer to life than any other type of story. And he, which is basically how Slaughterhouse-Five is written and a lot of other stories that he writes where basically he tells you all the information you need to know up front and then you just sort of see everything else happen. Um, you see it You see it in Slaughterhouse-Five. Slaughterhouse-Five, it literally starts off, um, Billy Pilgrim is unstuck in time and you find out that he, he's going to die, but he also survives the war and all this stuff literally in the first chapter or I guess technically second chapter of the book because the first chapter is just him talking about how he tried to write this book for such a long time, period of time. And so, yeah, it took him over 20 years, five books prior to this. I can go so much more into his history if you want me to, Andrea, but <laughs> I don't want to steal this podcast by just talking about Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut. That's okay. I, was, uh, I pulled up the wiki to fact check you as you went, and you did pretty good. I wanted to throw in that he apparently called his mom in her later years as corrosive as hydrochloric acid so shout out to moms everywhere <laughs> yep yeah yeah he uh he didn't really have a good history with his mom i know i respect that philosophy <coughs> when it comes to writing too i mean that's what shakespeare did as well he he told you how the story would end and was just like come along for the ride though see how everything falls into place mm-hmm. and yeah that's just being able to tell a good story but yeah, I find Kurt Vonnegut very, or I always call him Kurt Vonnegut, just because that's how I originally learned his name, but it's Kurt Vonnegut. Um, oh, I thought you kept like correcting me every time you no, said it. No, no, I, I always say it wrong. Like it's actually Kurt Vonnegut from my understanding because it's, he, his family's German. Mm-hmm. True. Uh, so yeah, so what was it? His first book came out when he was 29, Piano Player. It did okay. It got positive reviews, but it didn't really like sell that well. Shit, that means I have one year. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's plenty of writers that came out way later. Um, Harper Lee was like in thir- was 34, I think, when her first book came out. Uh, Frank Herbert, he was 32. There's plenty of writers that were way later. Charlie Kaufman came out with his first book this year, which and he's <laughs> 70 years old. Yeah, but Charlie Kaufman can rest on the laurels thus far. Um. Yeah, but he didn't. He never got a. He never got any of his sing, his movie screenplays published until he was 40, or made until he was 40. Fair. Okay. So things happen. Like Kurt Vonnegut. Vonnegut. Um, I'll try to... Keep fucking up. I mean, I keep coughing, too, so it's just sort of... Hopefully, I'll be able to edit that out. I'm in the same room, so I can hit you this time when That's you true. piss me off. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, he, he married his high school girlfriend. Um, 
Yeah. I'm just uh, kidding. He was working in a factory when he was writing uh, Piano Player. Wait, no. I'm not really trying to rag on people. It just makes me think of that George Carlin bit where he says, Married your high school sweetheart just means you married the first girl to give you a blowjob. <laughs> I always think of that. I mean, I don't think their relationship was that great. But basically, oh. they, yeah, because they, they got divorced later and he married another, he, he married Jill later on in life. So it goes. So it goes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so wrote for player, player, piano player, and it didn't sell well, even though he quit his job at the factory because he thought he was going to become a full-time writer. He then just ended up, he didn't write another book for six years, and it was actually because a friend of his at a party said, you need to write a book. And literally at this party, Kurt Vonnegut came up with the entire plot of si Sirens of Titan. Nice, okay. Um, so Gotta took, find that friend. It took him six years. Oh, okay. All right, cool. All right. Tell them yeah. thank you. For the literary world. <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so then he wrote he wrote four more books, and then Slaughterhouse-Five coming out when he was almost 50. Damn. Mm -hmm. And this was the one that finally got him famous. Plus, on top of that, had two kids with his wife, and then his sister and her husband died in a car wreck and left three children that they had to raise. So they were raising five children, and then I believe... That's Kurt, too many children. Yeah, and I believe Kurt, Kurt Vonnegut had a third child with his other wife um, later on. So he ended up like raising like six kids, writing all these books, and uh, yeah, pretty uh, kind of impressive when you, when you think about all the shit that he Let's was doing. Let's be honest, the wives were doing most of the raising of the children back then. Actually, I don't think so, because he was working mostly from home as a freelance writer. Okay, cool, cool, I'm cool. pretty sure he was actually the one that was really raising them. I could be wrong. I mean, I don't, I don't know the personal family life stuff, so um, I just know little little tidbits here and there about Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyways, Slaughterhouse-Five. Andrea, you talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I have to talk. I mean, obviously, I love this novel. I love the stream of consciousness of it. And actually, the movie just did really clever editing to jump from scene to scene like the story does. I was, I hadn't seen this movie before and I wasn't sure how they were going to tackle that. And I thought it would probably be really difficult to translate into the screen, but they did a really good job. Especially for the 70s, like mm -hmm. 72, yeah. This must have been some trippy shit for the 70s. Oh, uh, I don't know. There was some really weird shit coming out at that time. But I just mean like a glass dome with a movie star and the aliens of Trafalmador want you to have a baby. <laughs> Which I gotta say, that's one thing I wish in the movie. We never got to see the Tralfadorians, uh, you know, the creepy little plunger hand creatures <laughs> with an eye. Like, that just sounds so weird. I wanna, I wanna, I wish, I wish we got to see them. I wish someone would, uh, I wish someone would make a movie of Sirens of Titan because then we could actually see them there. We just got to hear the disembodied voice going, are you mating yet? Which sounds so much like George Carlin. <laughs> it does. And so I was like, George Carlin, what are you doing in, in this? And you know this would be totally the kind of project he'd be on board for. Yeah, but I think this was before George Carlin got famous, so. I believe George Carlin got famous in the 80s. R.I.P. Like, mm -hmm, yeah. Legend. But yeah, Slaughterhouse-Five, very much, uh, it kind of, the book got taken up by a lot of the anti-war people of, for Vietnam, um, because it's, it's a fairly lighthearted book about war, mm -hmm. and but it's sort of just talking about, like, there's different, there's different parts in the book, and, and it's sort of later on when, when Rumford's in the hospital with, with 
Billy Pilgrim, our main character, and uh, Rumford's just talking about bleeding hearts and how, mm-hmm. what about all our boys that died? And it's like, yeah, it sucks that our people died too, but all these, also a bunch of innocent people died as well. And like, not just in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but Dresden as well, which as, as uh, more people actually died in Dresden, but no one ever talks about it. And the bombing of Dresden was totally senseless. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people at the time were opposed to it too, that were... The war was ending. Yeah. The war was literally ending and... America decided, hey, we're gonna just bomb this place. It's hard to, like, say spoilers when the book literally spoils itself in the beginning. Yeah. (laughs) But, like... Plus, we told you to read it last week, so, like, come on. What are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) And it's a short book. You can literally read it in a day. Yeah. Yeah, so Billy Pilgrim and also Kurt Vonnegut, because this is very much based off of... God damn it. Kurt Kurt Vonnegut. Vonnegut. (laughs) uh, Is... life where he literally survived the bombing because the Germans decided to place him and the troops that he was with in a slaughterhouse, literally called Slaughterhouse 5, that was underground, and they just, they survived because they were basically in a, uh, like, refrigeration place, I guess is basically what it was, it was just where they kept the meat, Mm -hmm. and uh, survived this massive, dreadful bombing of Dresden. My favorite thing about Kurt Vonnegut is you get this war story and then just scattered throughout, it goes from talking about very serious things. Like, for example, when they're in the boxcar and they've been there for days and Billy Pilgrim has to stand to the side and it's just a pretty kind of harrowing ordeal. And then on top of that, though, it just ends in suddenly talking about Sir Isaac Newton and then... The third law of motion that tells us for every action there is a reaction which is equal and opposite in direction, this can be useful in rocketry. So, like, you go from these passages that are so serious and, like, war is terrible, and then he's like, let me just throw in some silly little quips, and, like, that's beautiful. Taking all the seriousness and making it digestible for the average reader, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's where Kurt Vonnegut is brilliant. He knows how to make something serious and talk about it in a lighthearted way which is Mm -hmm. why actually i mean my favorite book by him is god bless you mr rosewater which rosewater shows up in this book Mm because kurt vonnegut likes doing a lot of crossover stuff with characters but kurt but that one's really talking about capitalism and how a lot of rich families don't really give a shit and they're part of the problem and god bless you rosewater is following uh, elliot rosewater who inherits all this money and is is super rich but he decides to start giving it away and so his father tries to institutionalize him (laughs) because why would anyone with with a lot of money decide to start donating it to people and things like that he he likes taking hard concepts but like sort of giving it a lighthearted feel and it's brilliant one thing and like you see the opposite too where okay you've got this scene where his father-in-law asks the quartet to sing his favorite song and the song which goes like in my prison cell i sit with my britches full of shit and my balls are bouncing gently on the floor and i see the bloody snag well she bit me in the bag oh i'll never fuck a polack anymore and after that he just talks about when he did see a pole being hung in public for having sexual relations with the German woman. So, like, he'll do the opposite, too, of just, like, oh, I got you laughing, now let me throw in some sad imagery for you. Um, yeah, I just love that style. And it works so well with this 
the way he writes this book because it's jumping back and forth between things throughout his entire life because I don't know I think I sort of mentioned it it's following Billy Pilgrim who become literally it says Billy Pilgrim became unstuck in time I think that's literally the first line of the actual book and so it's just following this character where you're jumping throughout his life from literally birth to his death and you just are witnessing different events and just sort of understanding the character more through all these different events and mm-hmm. um yeah it's uh it's interesting and because it's so stream of conscious it was hard for them the movie pulled it off well mm-hmm. i do like the movie a lot but it it couldn't get into certain things that the book talks about at certain points like there's like random mentions in the book sort of like the Tralfadorians when like they don't even show like this the flying saucer period they just mm-hmm. sort of like he just kind of like ends up on Tralfadorian. like we see the light coming towards right. him is what we get yeah but there's a there's a lot of conversation between billy and the Tralfador mm-hmm. and Tralfamador. um i like the the part where they're talking when when, he, when billy's trying to understand the concept of the fourth dimension and understand that the past present and future are always there basically humans are the only creatures that they ever met that believe in free will Mm -hmm. and that um each moment is more like you're a bug stuck in amber frozen in time and that you're just actually really reliving these moments over and over again so what's the point of crying over someone who dies (laughs) because they're dead but they're still living in the past and they'll always be there and yeah so it goes wow did it again. Well, I mean, it's throughout the book. I wonder how... I, I should have counted how many so, so so there goes there are. Yeah, true. Someone's done that math. And one thing I really loved about the movie, and we talked about this a bit, because we actually got to watch the movie together for once hey. before I passed out. Yeah, and, had, and then had to re-watch half of it. This morning. It's fine. We're professionals. Um... But they have a very beautiful usage of classical music throughout. You know, like, especially that, that scene when they're walking through Dresden and he's looking at the kids. And I don't know, it's, uh, it just fits in really well in the background of a war movie. But, yeah, <laughs> it's pulled off quite magically. Um, and there was another little ditty that I fell in love with. When they're at this mess hall and suddenly, like, Billy looks down and it's just this beautiful kind of setting... And they're doing, he has the line, the, they did the most popular story ever told, which is Cinderella. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it says, the women in the play were really men, of course. The clock had just struck midnight and Cinderella was lamenting. Goodness me, the clock has struck. Alack day and fuck my luck. <laughs> and it's just so good. The Brits are probably some of my favorite <laughs> people in the entire book. They're fun. But the movie though, the guy who plays Paul Lazaro fucking steals the show yep like he does it so well they make paul lazaro have like a bigger part because they sort mm-hmm. of mix him a little bit with uh with weary yeah. from the beginning because they don't really like they, they mention weary you kind of like see him for a second in the movie but they really kind of mix lazaro with weary and it works and the guy who plays that character is great if i were to have one kind of gripe about the movie is that the actors are in their 30s and so a lot of what Kurt Vonnegut was trying to talk about with with war and stuff is that war is fought by children Mm -hmm. that's the reason why 
Um, I know my version, because I have a really old copy, it's called Slaughterhouse or the Children's Crusade. And it's just about how children are fighting, are the ones that fight our wars, which I gotta say, I gotta read this part, which is literally, like, I don't, does yours have this or does it, does it not have this? Let's compare. It's in the, it's in the very beginning. Oh, you do mm-hmm. have it. Okay. So it's, I guess it's in every copy, but, um, what are like the title and when you open up the cover, it's Slaughterhouse-Five or The Children's Crusade, A Duty Dance with Death by Kurt Vonnegut Jr., a fourth-generation German-American now living in easy circumstances on Cape Cod and smoking too much, <laughs> who, as an American infantry scout, horse state combat, as a prisoner of war, witnessed the firebombing of Dresden, Germany, the Florence of the Elbe, a long time ago, and survived to tell the tale. This is a novel, somewhat in the telegraphic, schizophrenic manner of tales of the planet Tralfomador, where the flying saucers come from. Peace. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So I just love Kurt Vonnegut for his silliness and also seriousness, seriousness within mm-hmm. his... Oh, yeah, Jean Grey. You got a Jean Grey card. Uh, shout out to Eagle Eye Bookstore next to me where I... Somewhere where I live, I'm revealing information. No, but they have a, a good comic book section and they were giving out these free cards with your purchases. So That's I've got, awesome. I have a Jean Grey card and a Wolverine card. Anyway. That's great. <laughs> Those are my bookmarks now. Another thing that I wish that the movie had in it was Kilgore Trout. Yeah. You, we missed out on Kilgore Trout, which is a personification of Kurt Vonnegut himself, if he never really made money from his books. Mm-hmm. So Kilgore Trout is apparently like, in, in he's like in at least five or six of Kurt Vonnegut's books. But he's just writes these ridiculous sci-fi stories. And like, what is it? I think I mentioned it in this book where his books have great ideas, but he's a terrible writer. And I feel like he, that's what Kurt Vonnegut has sort of mentioned to himself, though I find Kurt Vonnegut's writing fantastic. It's very simple, but, like, it comes across really well. Like, he's not trying to overdo things. He's just laying things out mostly matter-of-factly and not over-describing shit and just sort of, like, this is this is what's happening. Every, everything that... everything It's like every word he puts on the page matters... And there's no extra, and I like that about Kirvanaga, and that's why most of his books are actually pretty short in comparison. They're not like fucking Stephen King, where they're thousands of pages. And you were gonna say something about Stephen King. Well, you know, I have no issue with Stephen King. It's just he has really, really long books. He does. It's very true. So, I like concise storytelling. It's it's nice and fun. And I also really like this bit. Like this is towards the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, where it says there were barricades on the main roads leading into the ruins. Germans were stopped there. They were not permitted to explore the moon. That's just very nicely written. Like, that's the thing. He's a very punchy author, and I, I appreciate that a lot as well. Oh, because I mentioned Kilgore Trout. I liked the little bit where Kilgore Trout came up with a new gospel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because he realized that Christ- that Christians, uh were causing a lot of issues, so he wanted to write a new gospel about Jesus Christ, who was actually just, like, a completely regular guy. Oh, because, what is it? He, he, Kurt Vonnegut 
he makes a mention that Christians um, like actually killing. They just don't like killing people that are well connected. <laughs> so they like killing off the poor, but like you know, typically they're more right wing. We're not bringing politics into this well, podcast. We're talking, about, we're talking about political <laughs> books this month. So wait, what? No, we're not. Oh no, that wasn't our theme. No, it's what not are you talking thing? about? Oh, okay. Um, Never. Not at all. But sort of. Uh, you know, dick over the poor, but the, the those that have connections to people matter the most. And yeah. So, oh, yeah. He writes a new gospel so that at the end, God said this. From this moment on, he will punish horribly anyone who torments a bum who has no connections. <laughs> yep. So it's just, he's, thank you, Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah. I'm still pissed off he fell downstairs. I never use stairs ever. I'm not, I never use stairs just because... Um, of what they did to Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> yeah, or or the staircase, you know, that's that story. Yeah. That was the stairs. Mm-hmm. Or an owl. Definitely not her husband. Anyway, but moving on. So, um, one thing I wanted to say, the lady who plays his wife, I don't know the actress's name, she did a fucking fantastic job. Like, the way she dotes on him, perfectly conveyed, and the way she says, oh, Billy... <laughs> I like, I do, and I do like that in the movie they kept on, they, they reiterated the whole point where she's always like, oh, I'm going to lose weight for you, but then she never yeah. does. Um, I love that. And there's, there's certain things that the movie added and made connections to different things that I think was better than the book, and it kind of helped because of the whole visual medium. Mm-hmm. Sort of, uh, like, where people would be, like, yelling Billy's name, and then he'd, like, wake up in a different spot, or... Uh, um, just, like, different things happen. I think there was, like, one time, like, bells were ringing and then it ended up being, like, church bells when it was, like, a th- when before it was, like, a siren from mm-hmm. Dresden or something. I do also think the movie does a better job of portraying innocents being killed because there's, like, the whole scene when they first get to Dresden, there's a bunch of kids, like, playing around with masks and it then, like, later on, Dresden's destroyed and the only people that are playing around are the Russians. Yeah. <laughs> um, and who just go around just sort of just dicking around so it's uh like when the clock falls on him and they put vodka in his mouth yeah and leave him there there's a silly weird moment that wasn't in the book but it works it worked well with the story agreed but that's oh yeah but sorry to go back to the wife i think they did a good job showing that she just loved him so much she died to get to him yeah and that car chase scene like I I was laughing my ass off. They they did a good job. It just with kept it. going. Like we want when we first watched it when when you fell asleep. I was like oh I was God. so tired. And I was like this scene's going on forever. But then like rewatching it, I was like this is actually hilarious. So I'm actually glad we did rewatch it because the first time I didn't enjoy that scene just because I was tired. And I've never wanted to drive, like, under an overpass more and like you treat it like a ramp. That was <laughs> epic. Yep. And then the whole scene where he gets her the car and yeah. stuff. So, like, I've think, always wanted a white Cadillac. That, that wasn't in the book, so... I don't remember. It was like a nice little addition to sort of... Did you tie this bow yourself? The only thing that I think the movie portrayed wrong was the plane crash. Because Billy Pilgrim tries to warn them about the plane crash, but Billy Pilgrim has been unstuck in time and understands that everything's going to happen and it's going to happen no matter what. And I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly in the book... He knows it's happening, but he doesn't warn anyone because he doesn't want anyone to think he's crazy or mm-hmm. he, there's, there's really no point because it's going to happen anyways. 
I do like how they had that droning sound build up as the yes. airplane was taking off. That was a good addition. But I do, I, I, Billy Pilgrim shouldn't have been warning. He should have just been sitting in his seat, just like, this is going to happen, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. All in all. All in all, a great fucking movie. Great fucking book. One of the most clever things I think that he that Kurt Vonnegut did while rereading this was the Shitland Pony. <laughs> so you have like this connection throughout the entire like book about this weird pornograph it's like with the first like pornographic photograph and one of the soldiers half of it i think it was uh weary or maybe it was lorenzo lazaro lazaro sorry lazaro and he just has this picture and then later on i think the germans take it mm-hmm. and they're talking about and it and they love it and they love it <laughs> and there's some, there's another point where, where they mention it and then later on billy pilgrim goes to this adult store mm-hmm. because and he didn't even realize it was an adult store he just saw that there was a kilgore trout novels like in the forefront of the store so he goes in and he's like reading these and all these guys are like apparently in the back jerking off to these pictures <laughs> and everyone thinks he's the pervert because <laughs> he's reading these science fiction novels that why would anyone be reading these but all these and they're like they're like oh we have actually something and then like one of the uh, shop owners because i believe uh if i remember jimmy right that it's a uh, these supposed like quintuplets that own the store and one of them mentions that we have this if you really want to see something really great instead of like having to read the book and they pulls out this photograph like after all this time like through the entire war through however the guy originally got this photograph and then it goes to the germs and then it all just sort of comes back and um i guess is potentially just talking about the spoils of war and that things just sort of drift through after war just countries take things over i don't really know exactly what he was trying to get at with it i just thought it was a funny moment and really clever and the things that survive war things we really care about like porn it's true that's what he's saying it's true (laughs) sorry i found the part where he's talking about the men in the bookstore and this passage is really funny um Mm -hmm. the peckers of the young men would still be semi-erect and their muscles would be bulging like cannonballs (laughs) What a way with words. Uh, brilliant. <laughs> but if you didn't listen to us last week, you should definitely read it at some point. Not before next week, because next week we're talking about... The Big Short. The Big Short, right. <laughs> the Big Short, which is going to be interesting because the book is non... Well, I guess technically the movie is non-fiction as well, but... All the celebrities are there as themselves. Well, yeah. That's the the thing. It's like celebrities training like what happened and... It's got everything. It's got facts. It's got economy. It's got Margot Robbie in a bathtub. What more do you want from a movie and book combo? Mm Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it should be fun. And it's also the reason why none of our listeners will be able to buy a house until they're 40. So it definitely applies to you, listener. Yeah, unless you live in a different country, then... Lucky you. Well, then, if, if you live in a different country, you've been living with your parents forever, and it's not a weird stigma anyway, so that's I don't true. know. <laughs> that's true. We, uh, oh, that's a great point, because it's mentioned in this book, in, in Slaughterhouse-Five, about Americans and how yeah. basically the poor are raised to hate themselves because they're not rich and they can't get anywhere because the poor aren't, uh, the rich aren't actually helping. And so the poor are like, oh, why am I not able to do these things that other people are doing? Hang up the phone. Are you saying trickle-down economics didn't work? Oh, no. (laughs) Reaganomics is the greatest economic system we ever tried to do. 
I don't think we're gonna be able to keep politics out of this. It's impossible. <laughs> like, we're just gonna give up. <laughs> anyway, um. <laughs> until we get away from politics, until December when we're not talking about politics anymore. Somehow politics is going to get brought up. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. So, um, the month is almost over. We're going to be doing our last, um, political, not really, book. Totally. And then in December, we have this fun idea planned of movies, I mean, stories that Disney ruined. Because, boy, oh boy, did they ever. Yeah, they suck. <laughs> Fuck Disney. <laughs> yeah, Disney, what is, what is your fucking problem? Yeah, how dare you? You're, you're the one who's choosing the books. Oh, it's exciting. We're going to talk about some Little Mermaid. We're going to talk about how originally Cinderella is a Chinese story. And the original story is very sad as well. But it's been whitewashed like a lot of other things. We're going to have fun. Yeah. Pocahontas. <gasps> we could do Pocahontas. It's true. We can talk about the real Pocahontas. That's right. And then we'll be like, what is this trash that we're watching? <laughs> it's not their best movie. No, it's... <laughs> Like, glorifying a horrible, horrible human being. Mm -hmm. Not Pocahontas. Pocahontas isn't horrible, but... John... Yeah, John Smith. Smith John Smith. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I was like, is it the whitest name I've ever heard? Yes, it is. Yeah. It's John Smith. <laughs> yeah, a horrible, horrible fucking human being who... He had syphilis. I believe he gave it to her and then she died or something. Or was it just... Uh, Yay, colonialism. Yeah, fuck. Fuck Disney for that shit. Yeah, we're gonna have fun. Um, I'm excited. Something nice and light for Christmas. Light. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for joining us. In the meantime, read a fucking book. Make sure it's the big short. Mm -hmm. Oh, there is a Harry Potter-ish connection this week. There is? It's tenuous, but I stand by it. Okay, because I couldn't find one. Really, it's just something they have in common, which is that both Harry Potter and Slaughterhouse-Five are always on top of the list of books that people are trying to ban. We're not about that. Stop trying to censor shit. Let the people speak. Mm-hmm. Stop Why banning books. ban this book? But you know what? You know what? But like burn Harry them Potter, all you want. I understand. It's, it's witchcraft. Fuck that shit. Well, it's an anti-Christian book because of the passage you mentioned, and it's, uh. you know, it's a lot of swearing. People don't like it's the swearing. It's not even that much swearing. I don't know. This isn't like a fucking Chuck Palahniuk book. It's not like it's our fucking podcast. We're going to swear all the time. God damn. Yeah. Anyway, if you're going to do anything to books, burn them, because at least we know you bought them first and the author still gets rich. That never made fucking sense. But hey, you do you. Symbolism, Andrea. Oh. <laughs> God is watching. How do they know symbolism if they don't read books? <laughs> Checkmate. <laughs> all right. But yeah, thanks for joining us. How lovely to have you. We won't mm -hmm. be doing this in person for a while. Maybe. I don't know. If we do Friendsgiving. Oh, that's hey. what I was about to say. I was like, maybe. Now that I can't go see my parents. Yeah, guys, if you think you have COVID, don't go to work. Mm -hmm. It's just some simple... I don't have COVID, but, you know. You might. Which means I might now. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Oh, no. You can't listen to us anymore because you might be getting COVID. <laughs> we'll be streaming till we fucking die. <laughs> <laughs> On our deathbeds. I have more thoughts. Bring the microphone closer. <laughs> Yeah, on my deathbed, I want to talk Sorry, about how much Disney sucks. That just reminded me of the great shot in Slaughterhouse-Five of when Billy Pilgrim is in the hospital and his mom's there, and he's oh, hiding yeah. underneath the covers. And I they... love that. And he just does a little peekaboo. Yeah. Billy! Billy! <laughs> anyway, this is our longest outro ever. I don't know how we did it. Um, our outro is longer than what we talked about. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thank you. We'll see y'all later.
Bye. Who are you? My name's Pilgrim. What's this scene? Where are we? We're on a distant planet. Are you mating now? What? Have you mated?